Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Okay, so this morning uh, we are still uh, making our way down the bottom of the hill of uh, Colossians chapter 4. So go ahead and grab your Bible. You're you're probably at home, so there's really no excuse for you not to have your Bible next to you. Um, We also have that uh, resource available through the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, So I know that you might only have one device in the house uh, but if you have another device lying around, a computer, a tablet, or another phone, or whatever, uh, if you'll go to the free Version Bible app, uh, go to More down in the bottom right corner, click on Events, and then you'll you'll find uh, New Life Baptist Church in there, and you can follow along on there with the, the scripture, uh, you can take some notes, uh, I have some of the points in there, um, and then we have the sermon title and then also a devotional at the bottom that you can do uh, throughout the week. So that's a great resource to check out. Well, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. We're going to read uh, verses 10 through 13. Today's sermon has been entitled, Unknown Stories, Untold Impact. Unknown Stories, Untold impact. We're learning lessons from the lesser known characters that we find in Scripture. Um, So it's in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Let's read along this morning, starting at verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gather around our devices this morning, uh, whether people are on their TV or computer or phone or tablet, whatever it is, God, Wherever they are, Lord, I just pray that you draw us in in this moment, Father. I pray that by your Spirit, Lord, that you cause us and help us to focus on your word, Lord, not my word, on your word. I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you provide us with illumination to see what is in this passage, what, is, what are in your scriptures, Lord that we may know more about you, that we may learn valuable lessons to help us to to live a life in a a manner worthy of your calling, Lord. 
I pray that you guide us, Lord. I pray that my words, uh, everything that I speak, Lord, that it be of truth spoken in love. And I pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 4. Some of what I'm going to preface with today um, is similar to what we said last week. But I want to continue to reiterate and remind you, and for those of us who were not here um, last week, uh, I, I, we, we want to talk about how you know passages like this. You know, it, it might seem on the surface as though there's you know next to nothing that we can gain from studying you know the, the final greetings of Colossians. You know, maybe some of you are like, "Man, come on, can we move on to the next thing?" And, and while I would understand that feeling and that that sentiment. I want to express to you that there are lessons to be learned on every page of Scripture, in every line of Scripture. Nothing in God's Word is without purpose and without meaning. There are places in the Bible that you'll come across that have obvious commands. And it's obvious prescriptions for, you know, for Christian living. Uh, Do this. Don't do this. Uh, we, we, we've seen many of those here in our study of Colossians. You know, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer. Set your mind on things above. You know, those are the obvious lessons and commands in Scripture. But that doesn't then mean, you know, if we're not getting a command in Scripture, that, that, that what we're reading isn't valuable or that we, there aren't lessons to still be learned here. Some of Scripture has deep doctrinal truths, you know, and we saw that early on in Colossians chapter 1, where it was talking about Jesus being the the image of the invisible God. You know, these are deep doctrinal truths that we find in Scripture, but just because we might not immediately see, you know, deep doctrinal truths in this passage or or obvious commands, uh, we, we still have the responsibility as Christians to to mine the mountains of Scripture, uh, to find the gold within the pages. And, and I assure you, there, there is gold here for us to find. In the opening statements and final greetings of all of these epistles, you learn lessons by studying about the people that are being mentioned. So, the people here, we, we see the names, Aristarchus, you know, last week, Tychicus, Onesimus. So we ask ourselves, who are these people? Why are they being mentioned? And, and again, you know, you might not see the obvious connection uh, just through a, a run through of the scripture. But whenever we begin to study their lives, that's whenever we begin to, to see more and get a deeper understanding of uh, of the scriptures. So these, these people's names are here for a reason. So we just want to today, uh, our, our aim is not going to necessarily be to, to leave with a, a list of action items, you know, three things to do this and that, um, or even to necessarily learn, you know, deep doctrinal truths, but rather, rather, um, just to get to know these four men. Who are they? What can we learn from their lives? They must be of significance to find their names written 
in Holy Scriptures. So what can we then learn from them? We will see through the stories of these men that the doctrine that Paul taught was actually lived and practiced by the early church. In other words, Paul and these guys that he was with, you know, they, they didn't just talk the talk. They walked the walk. Sometimes it can be easy for us to read some of the commands that Paul writes. We're like, yeah, man, but that's not, you know, that's not real life. That's, that's not really how it works here in the real world. You don't get it, Paul. You saw the risen, resurrected Savior. You don't know what it's like just to be a regular person. But thanks to God, he puts these names in here of people who, though they might not have regular names, they are just regular people. And that is wonderful that God does this. So last week we learned about Tychicus and Onesimus in verses 7 through 9. Today we're just going to examine the lives of uh, Aristarchus. We see John Mark. We see the mention of, of Jesus, who is justice. And then we see Epaphras. So that's going to be our aim today, is just to examine their lives, see what the scriptures have to say about their lives. So, Aristarchus. Who, who is this man? Who, who is Aristarchus? His name is not found, probably, in, in anyone's Bible Hall of Fame. You know, in, in football, there are, there are guys on the team who play vital, significant roles on the team, but they just don't have the, 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 the curb appeal or the, or, or the draw to their name, you know, like a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning or a Joe Mont Montana. You know, these guys aren't uh, selling out in their jersey sales. You know, not many people are trying to get their autograph. But they are vital to the team. They're the guys in, in the trenches, you know, play in and, and play out, who, who are, are putting their lives on the line just like anybody else. Maybe not their lives, but certainly their bodies and their health on the line, play in, play out. And what they do is vital to the success of, of the team moving forward or, or the defense pushing the offense backward. These are the guys on the offensive line, the defensive line. And so in the same, in a similar way, in, in the same way that their role is vital, though most, most people don't know who they are or even really care, there are men in the kingdom of God who play vital roles, who without their work, an apostle Paul or, or a Peter, uh, one of these guys would tell you, man, without them, I wouldn't have made it. I, I wouldn't have been successful. Yes, we know that God is sovereign. Absolutely, his plan will be accomplished. But in God being sovereign, what he's doing is ordaining for certain men and women to be part of what God is doing on the earth. And thank God for that. We see this man, Aristarchus. He, he first appears in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Now, we, we won't really flip back and forth on those today because um, they're, they're just mentioned as part of, uh, of a story. But you can write these down and go back and study it for yourself. I would encourage you to do that. It's Acts chapter 19, verse 29. 
we see Aristarchus first coming on the scene there as as a member of of Paul's traveling ministry team. He's a, he's a travel companion of Paul, and at that time they're in Ephesus when what amounts to a riot breaks out. You see, there there in Ephesus there is a temple to the pagan goddess Artemis, and it was a really really big deal. It was a giant luxurious temple. And there were men there who were blacksmiths and silversmiths who made little trinkets. And there's a man by the name of Demetrius who was an expert in making these little trinkets, uh, a souvenir, if you will, um, of the goddess Artemis. And so what they would do is they would sell them to the people who are coming and traveling in to, to worship the, the pagan goddess. And so... These men, Paul and his whole ministry team, they come in and, you know, the word of God is spreading and, and advancing rapidly and powerfully. And so even there in Ephesus, where it was the epicenter of the worship of Artemis, even there, the, the, the teaching, the gospel is taking the world by storm. And so Demetrius gathers some of the other um, silversmiths together and is like, guys, you know, we, we have to do something about these people. We're, we're losing a lot of money. These guys are coming in and trying to turn the hearts of the people from Artemis. You know, we have to do something about this. And, and his, his impassioned speech works. He stirs everyone up into a frenzy. And they, they run and, and they grab these two men and, and take them into, uh, into the court. And what they, th those men were, were Gaius and Aristarchus. So Aristarchus is dragged into, um, this temple by, um, by this riotous crowd. And so, I mean, just imagine being this guy, you know, here I am traveling with this guy, Paul, and I'm getting dragged into, uh, this big open court where they're going to try to put me on trial. Everybody here is angry and mad at me, probably, you know, throwing stuff at me, yelling out who knows what kind of cursing at them. But there they are. And the, the angry mob does eventually get quieted by the town clerk. And the men are released. And shortly after, Paul leaves for Macedonia. Aristarchus will go on to continue to join Paul on several more missionary trips after that. So just imagine that. You know, he's he, he's a valuable member of the team. He's he's in the on the front lines, on the ground, you know, taking uh, uh, metaphorical bullets for Paul and the gospel. He was dragged into into that big open court by this riotous mob. Yet that wasn't enough to deter him or shake his confidence or, or cause him to, to leave and, and abandon ship. Instead, he continues on with Paul. So what can we learn from Aristarchus? You know, th this man really, really strikes me and, and maybe you as one of those people who's just always ready to help, always dependable. Always just there, ready and available to go. Well, what are we doing? Am I going to get dragged into the, the temple courts with a, by a mob? Let's, let's go. Great. Let's do it. 
You know, come on, Paul. Are we traveling there again? Are we going to a new place? Let's go. I'm, I'm ready. I'm here. Whatever you need, I'm, I'm ready and I'm available. None of these other things have, have deterred him. Aristarchus remains faithful. So much so that Paul calls him my, my fellow prisoner. Now, th- there's a few ways that we can understand that. Um, and, and I know that on the surface it seems pretty imp- simple to understand, but, but sometimes they would call people my fellow prisoner in the Lord just to mean that you know, we, we both belong to God. We're, we're both of the Lord. We, we're both His. But in Philemon, he, he calls, uh, he, he does call Aristarchus my, my fellow worker. And so it's possible that maybe he doesn't necessarily mean that, because remember, Paul is in prison here in Colossae. So it's possible that Aristarchus isn't in prison with him, but most likely he is. According to a lot of the leading scholars, they believe that Aristarchus was there in the Roman prison with Paul. So all the more, he, now he's being imprisoned with Paul, yet he hasn't backed down. He hasn't withdrawn. He's still there, ready and willing to uh, work for the cause of Christ. We learn of faithfulness from good old Starkey here. He, he's always there when you need him. He, he's ready. He's, he's available. He's, he's faithful to the plan, to the mission, to the call of Christ. You know, we all need an Aristarchus in our life. That, that faithful co-laborer and that faithful friend who I know that if I call this person, they're going to answer. And maybe they're busy and maybe they're at work and they don't answer, but they'll call me back. That person is there for me. They are faithful. Moreover, we need those people in ministry. We, we need the Aristarchus in ministering to the, the needs of the people, to, to ministering to, 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 to crowds in the church, wherever. We need those people to be a part of the kingdom of God who are faithful, who are ready, who are dependable. Moreover, friends, I would suggest to you and, 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 and really uh, say that we could, what we could really learn from that is that we should be those people. We should be that, that starkey who, who's there, who's ready to go, who's dependable. Again, God is sovereign and his plan, his, his, his purpose, his, his, his desires, his will is absolutely going to be accomplished on this earth with or without us. But God always raises up people who are there to fill the needs in order to get his plan accomplished. You know, God could, if he wanted to, come down from heaven, wipe everyone out, do all of this entirely on his own. But God chooses to use people. He calls people. He he raises people up. He gives people gifts that are then to be turned and used for the kingdom of God to accomplish God's purposes here on this earth. And I, I just absolutely love that about God because quite often he uses just regular people. He uses people like an Aristarchus who, who in the world is that? Who, who is that? And that's why we titled today's 
sermon, uh, unknown stories, unknown people, and untold impact. There's no telling the impact that people like this, regular everyday people who are just ready and available for the call, there's no telling what kind of impact they have in ministry. Then we come to Mark, who is the, the cousin of Barnabas. So who is he? Well, we, we learn of faithfulness and dependability from, from Aristarchus. But we come to Mark, who's actually the opposite. Or uh, at least he was. Mark is the same Mark um, who has a gospel named after him. So uh, the gospel according to Mark, that's this Mark. And he's also a, a Jewish Christian who had been a travel companion and, and part of the ministry team of Paul. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, we find Paul and his travel companions um, headed to a place called Perga. And it's at this point that, that John Mark leaves them to head back to Jerusalem. Now in that particular text, you don't really get this sense that there was anything wrong with Mark leaving. It just says that he, he left and he went back to Jerusalem. But we find out later in Acts chapter 15, verse 37, that he was actually abandoning Paul and Barnabas. And Barnabas is his cousin. Where Aristarchus was there and faithful and dependable when you needed him, John Mark said, bye, see you later. Now, we don't know why. There, there's no telling what the reason was that, that he left. But for whatever reason, he abandoned them. And we, we know that this is true because Barnabas and, and Paul, in, in that chapter, they're planning to go and visit all of the churches that they have set up to, to check on them and see how they're doing. And Barnabas, he wants to bring along Paul, uh, Mark, right? Because it's his cousin. It's, it's my primo. I want to bring him along. and But he can't. Well, Paul doesn't want him to. And the Bible says that uh, in that passage, Scripture says that there arose a, a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. So whatever it was that, that Mark had done, Paul was obviously deeply offended because they argued so much and so, so uh, angrily that they actually ended up splitting, Paul and Barnabas did. They go separate ways, and Barnabas takes Mark with him, and Paul goes on somewhere else. But at some point, obviously, Paul and Mark are reconciled, putting aside whatever differences they had. I mean, so much so that in, that in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter, Paul actually says of Mark, that he's useful to him for ministry. And 2 Timothy is one of the, the latest letters that Paul had written. So this is certainly after this encounter with, with Barnabas and Mark. So we see Paul forgiving and forgetting whatever it was that came up between them. If you'll remember from Colossians chapter 3, I'm just going to read it. You can flip over there with me if you'd like to. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and 
patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all those, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We learn from the mention in life of Mark, forgiveness and restoration. Where Aristarchus taught us of faithfulness and dependability, Paul here teaches us uh, of forgiving and forgetting. We don't know for sure what it was that caused the rift between Paul and Barnabas. We don't exactly know why Mark left, and honestly, it doesn't matter. But we do know that it was bad enough that it caused a major strain between Paul and Barnabas. Yet, we see here that Paul practices what he preaches. He had a complaint against Mark at some point, but he has now forgiven him as the Lord forgave him. So you see, when Paul writes there in verse 13 of chapter 3, that if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, Paul is saying, I have walked through this. I have done this. I have been wrong. I had a complaint against someone. But I have learned that we must forgive, and not just forgive, forgive the way that the Lord has forgiven you. What a challenging statement that is. What a challenging way to live this is. To add to that, Paul is telling others to welcome him in. That's what he writes here in Colossians, that that if he comes to you, welcome him. What's he saying? If he comes to you, he's a brother. If he comes to you, welcome Mark. He is, he's all good. We're good. Welcome him in as a brother. You know, Paul could have said, if you see Mark, tell him I'm looking for him. You know, tell Mark he still owes me five bucks. Or if you see Mark, you know, tell him to lose my number. You know, he could have said something along those lines, but but Paul didn't. He said, welcome him in like a brother. Church, let us learn that in the kingdom of God, we must not allow rifts to exist between us. They're going to happen. We're going to disagree. We're going to have arguments. We're going to get frustrated and even offended by one another. But in the kingdom of God, we must forgive. Why? Because we have been forgiven. God himself has forgiven us. If any among us has been offended by one another, I implore you, even if a disagreement has arisen, a frustration Uh, Whatever it is, forgive, because God, through Christ, has forgiven you. That is undoubtedly the driving motivator in forgiving those who have wronged you, is that that God forgave me. I, I owed God, and you have owed God a greater debt than any man will ever owe you. Yet, through Jesus Christ, he has forgiven you. So what we what should we have against each other that we should continue to hold on to? Now, furthermore, we often will say, well, I'll forgive, but I won't 
forget. But you see, that's not the heart of what's happening here now, is it? Paul could have said, he could have written here, hey, if Mark comes to you, don't trust him. He, he likes to abandon people. But no, he has forgotten. He puts that behind him because true forgiveness, with true forgiveness, as it said in Colossians chapter 3, you then put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So really what we're saying whenever we say I'll forgive, but I won't forget is I'll try to play nice with that person, but I'm not going to forgive them. But dear brothers and sisters, what good has ever come from unforgiveness? The answer is nothing. No good ever comes from it, whether in your own heart or in relationships. It only destroys, it causes division, it tarnishes our testimony, it keeps us from experiencing deeper levels of God's grace. It not only harms the other person, most of all, it harms you who walk in unforgiveness. Let us learn from the life of John Mark that it is indeed possible and good to both forgive and forget. Now we come to the life of, of Jesus, who is justice. And just so you know, there are several different names for these people. Um, justice is called Jesus. Uh, what happened is is they, they had, uh, for, for the Jewish people, they would have you know, their Jewish name, their given Jewish name, and they would also have a Roman or a Greek name because of, uh, just because of how the culture worked. It would be the same as though if somebody came from Mexico and you know, their name was um, Porfilio or something, and they said, you know what, I know you're not going to be able to say my name, uh, so call me Rob, right? It's the same person, um, but we have different names just because of the cultural differences. Now, we don't know much else about justice, aside from his mention here um, and that he's a Jewish Christian. But we do know from Acts chapter 1, verse 23, um, you know, whenever Judas had betrayed Jesus, he then went on to commit suicide. And so he left an empty seat in the apostleship. You know, there was originally 12. Now there was only 11. So everyone gathered together and said, you know, let's elect another one. Let's, let's get somebody to fill his place because that's what um, the prophecy from Psalms had actually uh, prophesied, is to let another one take his place. And so they put two men forward, and one of those men is Justice. So we know he must be, uh, he wasn't selected, um, we'll, we'll, we'll say that, he wasn't selected, but he must have been qualified to be an apostle. So we know that he, he must have been a devout Christian. We know he was a, a Jewish Christian because that's what Paul goes on to say here is that these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers. What he means by that, of the circumcision, is that these guys were of the Jewish background, but they have now, uh, they are now Christians. They are now in Christ. They've now been truly saved. He says that they are the only ones among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Let's just say about this, you know, isn't it a great 
comfort to be around other Christians. Here is Paul. You know, how often do we just place Paul on this high pedestal that no one was like Paul? He just was a man of a different sort, cut from a different fabric. You know, he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand the, the, the small people, real world problems. But here's Paul saying that they have been a great comfort to me. Paul was every bit as human as you and I. And even a man like Paul was in need of comfort and, and encouragement. And isn't it a great comfort to know that there are other men and women in Christ who are bearing the same burdens as you? There, there's just something special to, about knowing I'm not alone in suffering. I'm not alone in working for the Lord. I'm not alone in desiring the, the name of Christ to be known among the nations. I'm not alone in wanting to disciple people. I'm not alone in wanting to grow in the knowledge of God. I'm not alone in wanting to be a real Christian to glorify Christ in all that I do. I'm not alone. There's other people like me and with me. What an incredible comfort this is for Christians. And this is unfortunately one of the things that we, we miss out on to a level when, when we can't gather in the building together. It's because there's something special about, about being there just as one in, in the body, singing unto the Lord together, opening the Bible together. There's just a great comfort from being around other Christians. Now, once again, this is a position in someone's life that, that often goes unnoticed and unappreciated and un, unspoken of, right? To just be a comfort and an encouragement to somebody, that is extremely valuable. It, it is a gift to be able to comfort and encourage other people. If that's you, operate in that gift. Use that. Do that. Comfort people. Encourage people. But more than that, as, as Christians, that's just what we should do for one another. Um, that is a loving thing to do, is just to be a comfort to one another, all the more now in the situation that we're in with COVID-19 and all that's going on in this world. How much do we need comfort and encouragement in this hour? Those words or act of comfort or encouragement, there are so often the extra fuel in the tank that keeps a person going. Let us not neglect to comfort and encourage one another, especially in these turbulent times. And lastly, we come to Epaphras. He's last, but he's certainly not least. Now, his name should sound familiar to you if you've been with us throughout this whole study in Colossians, because he, he first appeared in Colossians chapter 1. We, we read about Epaphras. We, we read that um, he he started the church there in Colossae. We read that, that Paul was saying that he they heard the message from Epaphras. But here and here he's saying that he is one of you. He says Epaphras, who is one of you. 
So he's from Colossae. We, we know that he's a Colossian. And he went with Paul. And he's traveling with Paul and ministering with Paul. Paul calls Epaphras a beloved fellow servant and a faithful minister in Christ. Epaphras told Paul all about the Colossians. Speaking of their love in the Spirit. That's from Colossians 1. And it's because of this that, that Paul says in Colossians 1, that they have all been praying on behalf of the Colossians, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And Paul is now reiterating and even making more personal the praying that Epaphras is doing on behalf of the Colossians for the same reason, you know, that they would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God is, is what he writes here in chapter 4. You'll remember from a few weeks ago that we studied verses 2 through 4 and, and gleaned from those verses five guidelines for prayer. And the first of those guidelines was to devote yourself to prayer, to, to be devoted to prayer. And that came from verse 2 where it said, continue steadfastly in prayer. And I want you to see that this again, it's not just a pastoral thing to say. Right? Pastor, pastors are always telling you to pray more and read your Bible more, and it's just such a, a pastor uh, kind of thing to say. But Paul shows us here that the instruction is not just nice words. It's not just a pastor kind of thing to say. It's how they actually live. From Paul's saying in verse chapter 1, verse 9, that they have not ceased to pray for the Colossians, to Paul writing that Epaphras is, is always struggling on their behalf in his prayers, we see that prayer is vital. It isn't just a, a preachy thing to say, but it's a very real way to live. You learn a lot about a person's love for another person by their consistency and their fervor in prayer for another I know the people that um, in my past who, who genuinely loved me were the ones that would constantly come to me and say, I'm praying for you. I am laboring in prayer for you. And, and look, the, the constant, uh, uh, fervent prayer worked. The Lord saved me, answered their prayers. And I am not a unique story. There are many stories like this of people who were praying for a lost person and God answered their prayers. You learn a lot about how much someone loves you by how much they pray for you. It was a big sign of the love that Paul had for this church to say that they have not ceased praying for them. And it's a big sign of the love that Epaphras has for his people to say that he always struggles in prayer for them. See, see the manner in which, he, in which he prayed, struggling, wrestling. Your Bible might say wrestling in prayer. This indicates to us both his commitment and his zeal in his prayer. He wasn't just saying, you know, uh, uh, dear God, thank you, Lord, for this day. Blah, 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 blah. Please be with them. No, Epaphras was in a war in his prayer room, struggling, wrestling, laboring in prayer before the Lord that they would stand mature, 
that they would be fully confident in God's will. He was always consistently, adamantly in prayer on behalf of his loved ones. Why? Well, we see there, as we just said, that they would stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. You know, he prayed this, number one, certainly because we should always pray that for other Christians, that they would be mature in Christ, that they would grow up in Christ, but also that they would be assured of the will of God. But he also prayed this because of how much false teaching was going on in Colossae. We learned that very early on as we introduced Colossians, that that was the purpose of this book, was because of false teaching. Now, I know that today we don't, we don't like to speak a whole lot about false teaching. We don't even like to think that there are false teachers today. Some of the most popular, well-known authors and preachers and teachers are false teachers. And the danger in this is that it leads people astray from God. It teaches people about a God that isn't real. It puts the, the emphasis all on the person. Well, you just need, you know, you, you need five steps to, to self-love. You need to learn how to uh, step into your destiny. You need to learn how to live your best life now. And it's all centered on me. And that's what false teaching does all the time, is it takes your focus off of Jesus and it puts it on anything else. For that, Epaphras is praying fervently on his knees that the Colossians might stand. Epaphras prayed much for the Colossians because he loved much. Church, the same goes for us today. We are in unprecedented, in an unprecedented day and age. We are facing many obstacles, many trials, and there is reason aplenty to be drawn away from what matters most. But if we love one another, let us learn that we ought to pray for one another often, consistently, not just on the occasion, but that we would always be struggling on the behalf of, of one another. I am convinced that the church that will rise the highest in the Lord is the one that goes lowest in prayer. I am convinced that the church that will rise the highest in the Lord is the one that puts itself lower in prayer before the Lord. Just as the Colossians had different voices leading them astray, so do we today. You turn on the news, plenty of reason to panic. Plenty of evidence that there is a giant divide that is increasingly, getting increasingly wider in our country today. And every news channel claims to have the remedy for what ails us. Yet, all of this philosophizing and politicizing and plotting and planning, they do is just an attempt to unite people between a man-centered, worldly-created ideology or mantra or agenda. And none of these things unite people or cure our issues because they belong to a world that is perishing. The answer isn't within CNN. 
or Fox News or RT or MSNBC or the Wall Street Journal or political parties or celebrities or self-help books or legislation or hashtag campaigns or anything else. The cure for what ails us today and is the same cure that it has always been, Jesus Christ. It's only Him. It's only ever been Him. Turn on the internet and you'll find every flavor of false gospel that you can imagine. Every trendy teacher and teaching claims to have what you need, the keys, you know, the, the, the keys, the, the, the five important principles to, to live this, this fake life that doesn't exist in Scripture. But what we ought to do instead is labor in prayer for one another. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. And this we learn from Epaphras to always struggle in our prayers on behalf of one another, that each of us may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God that I know what I believe and you cannot change my mind with high-sounding nonsense. I know who my God is. I know what his word says. I know what he's done for me. And I know what he's, where he's going to take me. That we would grow in the knowledge of God. That we may walk in a manner worthy of his calling. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Lord, I just pray that um, at this time, Lord, that whatever lessons we all need to be learning from the lives of these people and, and other people who shape their life after you, God, I pray that we would learn them. Lord, I pray that you would uh, cause us to, to be those kinds of faithful people and dep dependable people like Aristarchus, Lord. I pray that we would forgive and forget the way Paul demonstrates with Mark. I pray that we would uh, be the comfort and the encouragement that we are to, that we need to be uh, to one another, just the way that uh, these men of the circumcision were for Paul. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to, to struggle and wrestle in prayer for one another as we learn from Epaphras. God, I pray that you do a work in our church and among us. I pray that this word falls on fertile soil in our hearts, Lord, that it may uh, drop roots and bear fruit uh, unto your glory, Lord. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.